Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-457 of the Run Run Live podcast. How is your week going? I understand from the news that much of you across the middle of the United States are suffering through a heat wave. That's, that's too bad. 115, 120 degrees down there in Phoenix and Dallas and all those places. That's toasty. Makes it hard to get outside, get your run in, right? I remember one time I was at a conference in Vegas, and I went out in the afternoon thinking, you know, like around here, it gets cooler in the afternoon. Yeah, it doesn't get cooler in the afternoon in Vegas. So after this meeting, I, like an idiot, I went out running, and then I got lost. I could see where I wanted to be, but I couldn't find my way through all the the fences and the buildings to get back. And I remember being seriously concerned for my well-being in that heat. (laughs) But apparently I lived. You know, Vegas is a weird place. People are going back there now that the pandemic is easing. So I'm still nursing a sore knee, but as of today, it seems to be getting a bit better, and I'm hopeful. I have joined the gym. I've been lifting heavy for the last couple of weeks. Gives me something to do. I used to lift in my 20s before I got deep into distance running, and I had a guy I worked with who was an actual bodybuilder, like competing bodybuilder. And I was able to learn some basic things by working out with him that I still have in my toolkit, like, you know, good form, different exercises to get at, different muscle groups, and and that sort of thing. Over the last 20 years with running, I've rarely lifted heavy. My workouts are, for the most part, lighter, lightweight, high rep, mostly body weight type workouts, because you don't need that muscle mass or that strength really for running. It's actually counterproductive. The difference, right, is that instead of doing body weight or light dumbbells and high rep sets of exercises, you do fewer reps with heavier weight. For instance, let's say instead of where I might normally do 20 repetitions with 15 pound dumbbells, I might do eight repetitions with 30-pound dumbbells, right? And the difference is that the lower reps, they produce strength and muscle, muscle mass, while the lower weight, higher reps exercises, the body weight stuff, that 
results in less muscle mass and more endurance. So it creates more lean muscle, which is what you need for endurance sports. But anyhow, I've been getting three or more bike rides in each week as well with a longer ride on the weekend. And typically I'll do an hour and change on the weekdays and then maybe, you know, two to three hour ride on the weekend. And I backed off trying to run after the previous week's sort of fiasco where the knee got really sore. And when I first joined the gym, I jumped on the treadmill, but it was awful. (laughs) I haven't been on a treadmill in probably almost two years, and I had forgotten how awful it is. And it's different, too, so it's not that – it doesn't help the the sore knee because it's a different motion. And then I made an even bigger mistake, huge mistake, and I tried to use one of those old life cycle bikes in the gym. And the problem with these is the angles are all different from an actual bike. Your feet are really far apart. And that really tweaked my knee. So, but I started in again this week. Uh, Sunday, I ran an easy 5K on the roads with my club. And we were able to all get together, my running club. Probably 20, 30 of us have a brunch for the first time in a year and a half. So that was joyous. And then Tuesday, I rolled out and did another easy 5K on the rail trail, pain free. And then on Thursday, I did a whopping 40 minutes of road and trail with some hills and some trail sections. And again, it was pain-free, so I'm pretty happy about that. So it's also kind of funny. I'm hilariously out of shape. I have to get used to running being hard. I'm out there going like, did it always suck this much? (laughs) And I have to watch out for all those beginner running things like blisters and chafing and and Achilles tendonitis and all that stuff. So that's how out of shape I am. So today we are talking with a nice young man, Cody, who is aspiring to do a cross-country run to support families dealing with cancer and cancer in a child. It's a great story. He's a he's a good, good person and he's a positive influencer. In section one, I'll talk a bit about an observation that all of the records for track and field are falling now and think about why. And in section two, I'll talk about another current phenomena that is being called the turnover tsunami, but I think it should be called job quake. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds like an old movie. Job quake. So Ollie the Collie, he's doing fine, but you know, he's still, he's still a uh, trouble. It's so I'll tell you a story. It's my habit. When I get up in the morning, I take him for a walk. So this week, I got up. I think it was Thursday. I went downstairs. And when I looked out the front door, there was a rabbit sitting in the lawn right in front of the front door. So I thought, hey, well, that's going to make Ollie crazy. But what can you do, right? So I sat down, put my shoes on. And when I got back up to put the leash on Ollie, I looked back out to see if the rabbit was still there. And there was a big owl sitting on top of the rabbit looking at me. Not kidding. A bit of a wild kingdom moment. So the owl looks at me for a while. And I guess decided I was scary because it took off and then the rabbit runs away. And it's one of these things that happens. These early morning things where you have to sort of scratch your head and wonder. Sometimes life is just being in the right place at the right time. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. So why are all the records being broken? Why? I have to be honest. 
I don't follow professional running as a sport very closely or very deeply. You know, I'd much rather watch a hockey game than a track meet. I wasn't ever at a level of performance high enough to merit having any stake in professional or even collegiate running. Closest I ever got was running in the cross-country league championships in high school, and that was, you know, as one of a couple hundred runners. So I've never, you know, I've never stepped on a track anywhere in competition. So I have no deep-rooted ownership of running as a competitive or a pro sport. It's more just part of my lifestyle. And even though I live under this rock, even I can't hide from the, it seems daily, announcement of some track and field record falling. What's going on? And I, I won't list them all, but at the pro level, the national, international level, records are falling at all different distances. The high school and college level, same thing is happening. And these aren't just shaving a fraction of a second off the existing records. These are these are records that are falling by seconds and minutes. And these are big improvements to records that may have stood for many years. So something changed in 2020, 2021. So what was it? Point one, the shoes are better. Let's start with the technology. With the advent of those Nike Vaporfly, that family of shoes a couple of years ago, we have found a technology in shoes that works, especially for pro runners. What this is, is a bouncier crash pad on the forefoot tied to a carbon plate in the midsole that returns the runner's energy much more efficiently. And until the world figures out whether or not they want to continue to allow these shoes in competition, those that wear them will be incrementally faster. And we saw a similar technical improvement with swimsuits a couple of Olympics ago, if you remember, and all the records fell. And these shoes add, yeah, not a lot, but a couple of percentage points to a serious runner's performance. Now, we mid-packers, we can use these shoes too, but they're really not designed for us. They're not a magic panacea for all your slow racing and running problems. You still have to train at a very high level, do everything else right, like have good, clean form. And these shoes are then the icing on the cake. If you're already at that level they can give you a couple of percentage points. For Joe Sixpack, they're eh, probably not going to make a difference. But for a professional runner, a couple of percentage points translates to a lot of records falling. Point number two. The pandemic helped professional runners train, focus, and compete. Believe it or not, the pandemic set professional runners up for success. Think about it. What does it take for a professional runner to do well in a target race? Well, they need a long, focused training block without too many distractions. Enter the pandemic. No races to run, no appointments to make, no travel. All they had to do was get up every day and focus on their training. Now, here we are, post-pandemic, and we are freeing these runners like wild animals from their cages. They're all very well trained, and they're mentally dying to get out there and use that training that they've accumulated. It's the perfect storm of training. These professional runners are showing up in their best physical and mental shape of their lives, and the records are dropping as a result. Point number three, high-level sponsored training programs. 
So what else do these professional runners need to be great? Well, they need to be part of a team environment that pushes them as part of a cohort of like runners. While there have always been these groups dedicated to helping the professional runners train, when you combine this with the pandemic isolation, it becomes even more powerful. I mean, what's better than having an athlete isolated and focused only on their training? Having a small group of athletes isolated and focused only on their training together. And it may just be timing. It may be influenced by the pandemic. But we're seeing at all levels, college, high school, professional, all these programs are pushing out some amazing athletes who are setting amazing records. And some of this is the fruition of years of organizational effort in the sport. But again, it found that perfect storm when the pandemic arose and these teams had the focus and the time to get it right. And point four, my final point, doping. Yeah, there's always a fly in the ointment, isn't there? Some people will say that the records are falling because athletes have found a way to cheat more effectively. And the sad truth is some of these great performances probably will get reversed when drug tests turn up positive. But there is a very good anti-doping program at most all levels in the sport, and detection technology has never been better. Has the pandemic given cheaters an opportunity to do some dirty work under the radar? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that the cheaters are a small minority, and, and I'll hope they get caught. But the records keep falling, and you and I are going to have to start paying attention as we move into the summer track and field season, because more records are going to fall. And this is a special time, and we should look up from our desks and be part of that celebration. And now for today's featured interview. So Cody, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Give us the 200 words on who you are and what you're doing. My name is Cody O'Connor. I'm a uh, Cincinnati native and bone cancer survivor. That's about to walk across the country. Oh, that is pretty tight. That's under 200 words. That was probably like 50. Hey, I've been practicing. (laughs) He's got the pitch down, the elevator pitch. So walk us through the story of you're catching cancer when you are, well, I guess you don't catch cancer. You develop cancer when you were pretty young, 14 years old, and working through that experience. You're right. I was 14. I was actually, uh, I found out that the tumor was growing for a year. So it started probably growing around the fall of 2009. And uh, after taking off for a sprint in football, I started clutching my ankle. I went and saw my doctor after that. He told me it was Achilles tendonitis. I had no idea for a year what was actually growing in my leg and that it was about to change my life forever. And uh, my family, we were very, uh, tried to be tight knit and uh, very loving and supportive, but it was something that shocked everybody. Yeah. Something like that changes your life. So let me go back to that though. I've had Achilles tendonitis. So the guy just looked at it, goes, Oh, you got a sore spot. That's an Achilles. Stay off it for a couple of weeks. Pretty um, much. If, yep. if they had caught it at that point, would it have been pre metastatic? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. I do know because of the size of the tumor and I guess the extent of what it was, how much it grew, they had to take majority of my bone causing me to basically strip all my sports away. It stripped away my ability to run a cut, any of that stuff Uh, on top of, they told me that I would be in a large plastic brace with metal hinges the rest of my life. (laughs) And if we got it earlier, I would like to think that 
they would be able to save the last inch of my fibula, allowing me to at least have some stability. Yeah. But there's really, it's, it's hard telling. Yeah. Yeah. You can, it's, you don't want to go back down that path, right? Not particularly. Yeah. But because of probably surprised the heck out of everybody with your age and what it was, because it's not super common, right? Right. There's probably about 400 kids every year that come down with my specific type of cancer. So it is more on the rare side. When the grand scheme of it though, every year, year in and year out, we have 15,000 to 16,000 families that are coming down with cancer in the United States alone that are going through difficulties. And some of those difficulties being my family during the cancer battle filed bankruptcy. We were worried about eviction. We were worried about where food was coming from. And though my struggles weren't lived throughout the whole battle because of our support system, our church, our school district, think, you know, everybody kind of chipped in together as a community. That's not the reality for a lot of these patients and families that are coming down with that. Yeah, it's part of our culture that people are supposed to be independent and take care of themselves. And and we've lost a lot of that community structure over the years where it was more of a village type approach to these things. So the first shock is finding out you have cancer when you're that young and your family finding out that's the first shock. The next shock is, okay, what do we do now? Because the what do we do now, like you said, can not just end your normalcy, but suck everybody who is around you down with you, right? Right. I mean, it's a family illness, right? It affects grandma, grandpa, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, your best friends, people that aren't even your blood, right? It literally brings the whole family down. And what you said about community is so true. We have grown as a society to become individualistic and uh, something that we're trying to bring back through our nonprofit, Champions Do Overcome, is to have that sense of community, to have that full force of people fighting together, uh, showing these families that they don't fight alone and helping those parents that are single parents or that have multiple children, that they don't have to decide between going to work, feeding their kids or going to the hospital with their child. We're trying to ease that whole burden. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the organization you founded here. I think you founded it, right? It's your organization. Yes. Yes. We're young. We're turning three years old this summer though. I mean, after a year in COVID, I, don't, I would like to say we're probably still closer to two, but it is what it is. The organization is called Champions Do Overcome. We are a full 501c3. Uh, our goal is to really insert ourselves and strip away all of the financial burden that these families go through while fighting cancer. And we plan to do that primarily through cost of living bills. So your rent, utilities, gas, food, car, all of those types of bills, stripping away all of those, not for one month, not for two, but Our goal is to do it for the duration of the battle. We also have a side to us that just provides network and support. So many families, like I said, are literally without support systems. A little girl that we're helping right now is seven years old fighting osteosarcoma. She only has her grandma. So really what we're trying to do is build community, build network, and strip that financial burden off so no child is left to fight alone. Yeah. Cancer is a weird thing because it's usually impacting old geezers like me, not kids, right? And the challenge when you're a kid is there's, like you said, it's a family and there may be other kids. In your case, there was a few other kids. There may be the strain that puts on all those relationships and all those lives can be really devastating. Yeah. It's very, the shock finding that out is, is insane. And um, I remember pivotal moments throughout the battle where you are going through it, thinking you got this and then something else happens and it gets harder. Or you're thinking this is the worst thing in the world, but then you skate through the next treatment and it's throwing you through a roller coaster. I mean, I feel like life in general does that. But when these these battles come for these families, 
it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel vulnerable. I mean, because at the end of the day, you're getting chemicals pumped into you and there's really no other feeling to have. But hopefully this walk, hopefully everything that we're doing can stand for that positivity, can stand for that hope that these kids don't or or have something to lean on, right? That they can look and see directly, hey, this guy overcame and I can't. You're doing a fundraising event here. That's why we're talking. You're fundraising by walking across the country, I would say, right? Yes. Walking Uh, from New York York City to Los Angeles. To Los Angeles, yeah. I go to San Diego. San Diego's nice. It it is nicer. (laughs) It extends the walk a little bit, though. Yeah. Um, LA, uh, surprisingly on the map was inward enough that we got there first. So I was like, all right, let's do it. But yeah, it's the walk for hope. We actually leave June 17th and we will be walking it, What we hope to eventually get to is 22 miles a day. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I'm going to start off a little bit slower, build up to it a little bit, but we have a lot of good companies involved, good influencers, good people involved. We're excited to make this impact and take the journey. We want the walk to mainly stand for the fact that people in general are going to tell you all the time, you can't do something, you you can't do this, you can't do that, right? doesn't matter if it's doctors, parents, people in general. And we want to stand for the, the idea that if you have faith, if you work hard, you can overcome anything. So is your, well, obviously it's for awareness and fundraising, but is it also sort of a way to get a conversation started? Are you stopping along the way to have those conversations, to generate those conversations? Completely. I'm not in a race for this. It's not, I'm no Olympic athlete. I mean, I was told I wouldn't walk normally again, and I'm doing this without my brace. So just that part alone, I'm like, we're winning. But yeah, I, I'm going to spend time in the community. The goal is to network with owners of businesses, uh, hospitals, uh, other people that are ingrained influencers, local influencers, um, so that we can actually develop ways that we can integrate our system throughout the whole country. And you're doing this uh, starting in June, you said? Starting in June. Yeah. June 17th, we step out of New York City and uh, we'll, we'll be heading to Philadelphia. So that's going to take you three months and change. Is that about right? The whole walk itself is going to be about 3,000 miles. If I can be perfect, it'll be 135 days. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So four months. Yeah. Yeah. And change. Yep. And change. Four and a half months. Yeah, because you're going to know the reason I was asking, because if I look at the map, you're going to be hitting the hot part of the summer here in the middle of the country. Yeah, believe me, if I could avoid that, I would. Uh, But it was one of the things of planning. It just kind of happened. I think a positive note is by the time I get to the desert, it should be fall. So I'm going to hope that I'm going to bank on the the prayer that uh, it knocks off the high. (laughs) But you're going to be coming through the uh, Rockies. You probably make it through the Rockies okay, but the Sierra Nevadas on the other side of the desert, Mm -hmm. it's going to be late to be in the Sierra Nevadas. It'll be like the Donner Party up there. You're going to have to eat your support people, get through the pass. There was a, what was it, the Book Alive or something? They they ended up like... Oh yeah, the the soccer team. (laughs) Yeah, the soccer team. Yeah, um, I don't think my team would appreciate that very much. given that they're volunteering their time. So what's your setup? What's your um, rig for going cross country? You got a team, you got a, a van. What are you yeah, doing? We, there's going to be between two and three people with me at all times. In the beginning, we're roughing it a little more than we wanted to. Uh, we're still waiting for some finalization of partnerships to uh, come together. Uh, so we'll have a car and uh, we'll have some gear in it. Uh, we're planning to stop at uh, hotels probably every, probably get a new hotel about every 20 miles roughly. And then we'll be stretching it out uh, from there. We we have a content 
team and then a marketing team and a PR agent that's all kind of handling engagements and kind of planning things as we go. So you think that the walking part is going to be the easy part? <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> hoping, yeah. It's not going to be easy. I mean, it's it's this whole walk is set to challenge my body, challenge my mental, to go through a similar stress that cancer patients and their families are going through on a day-in, day-out basis. So I, none of this is going to be a cakewalk for me, but through mental strength and faith, we want to show actively day in, day out that you can do anything you set your mind to. I actually know a couple of folks you should talk to if you haven't, who have run across the country a bunch of times. So um, you want to talk to uh, McGilvery, Dave McGilvery, the race director for the Boston Marathon, who ran across the country in 1978. Wow. Um, from Seattle to Boston for uh, March of Dimes. Oh, Jimmy Fun, Jimmy Fun. And he's done that a bunch of times. And then the other one is uh, Ashley, who does the run for uh, MLS. And she's got a relay she does every year now. So she does teams across the U.S. So what was the pivotal moment for you in the treatment process or after where you said, hey, you had this epiphany, hey, here's how I can do something. It's almost like it was uh, you're driven to serve, right? Because you wanted to go to West Point, right? You wanted to be a soldier. You're obviously that kind of personality type. How did that morph into this? I'm the oldest of seven. And I think a lot is to be said about the pressure. Well, not pressure, but there is a certain duty that comes with that in my family, right? And that's that's to pave the way for the others. And uh, I saw in the hospital, uh, all the attention being pulled from them onto me. And some people love to be the spotlight. I hate it. I felt like it was, I saw them missing soccer practices, missing hobbies and eating later in the night and all of those types of things. And I was like, I wish that there was something that could have been in place to aid or ease that type of burden from our family. So I sat down and I thought, and initially the idea was just something to help get them to sporting events. And I was like, okay, we could probably come up with something like that. But then my family challenged me to do some research and look actually into the, to what we could actually do from a whole complexity to support the family unit. So then uh, we figured go big or go home. And we really wanted to make this impact in every single battle that we can. And, um, through that, we really hope it changes the outcome. I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, if you're not making someone else's life better, then what's the point of living? So, yeah. So essentially the big vision here, if I can put it into a, a statement for you, would be the doctors are saving the patient, but you're saving the families. Right. You right. can have that for me to you. Thank you. <laughs> we get that branded. So here's the thing, Cody, you're still a pretty young guy, right? You're not 14, but you're still a pretty young guy and you're doing something big here, right? So where does that put you in five years, 10 years, 25 years, 30 years when you're my age? What's the trajectory or is that not a fair question? No, it's a fair question. I think right now, obviously we're focused on the walk. We hope that that, again, allows us to insert ourselves into various communities coast to coast. And uh, we hope that that's going to lead to numerous repeat donors and things like that in those communities and uh, give us the means to make an impact year in, year out. So we're hoping that this is kind of the segue to that. But as far as some other stuff, we're going to have to see how my ankle responds. And I'm really at this point waiting to see what doors God opens up and just kind of walk through them as they come. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take it as it goes, because this could be life-changing for you, right? I'm completely. I've already met people yourself included, it, it just my network has already grown yeah, so far just, just from doing this that you mentioned my age. I am only 25 and uh, 
to have some of the people that I do in my corner and continue to expand that network each and every day with companies, people, uh, influencers, um, it just, it's, it's a blessing. And I just, I really hope that, <laughs> that we can continue to do that. So have, have you traveled much around the country? I've done a fair share. There's definitely a lot of states I haven't been to, but I'm decently traveled. I'm not yeah. no pro, but I'm decent. Yeah. I mean, people are people no matter where you go, but it's definitely fun to be in the different environments because it's such a big country. There's completely, completely. And I think statistically, most people never actually get to uh, whether it's forget every state, but even every region, right? I'm really excited to meet people to, let's be honest, to eat food. That's, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to try stuff because I, I love my food, man. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go further south that you gotta throw in extra <laughs> thousand miles and hey every every culture ha- or every region every city every culture throughout this has uh has their own thing i'm there to try it <laughs> yeah you're gonna you're gonna meet a lot of people you know yeah that's yeah. That's, a, that's a good thing um being an introvert though you're gonna have to schedule periods to just sit by yourself in the hotel room and recover from all that interaction i was watching cobra kai recently and i was thinking maybe i could uh find a mountain do the whole yeah. karate kid thing, meditate on a mountain. Yeah, I love that show. Maybe you'll meet the love of your life. How about that? Uh, I don't know what my girlfriend would say about that, but I mean, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess if it's in God's plans, it's in God's plans. You could tell her it's competition is good. It brings out everybody's A game. It, it, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, uh, that's a, it's a funny statement because uh, my dad and I, we have a joke. We're like, why aren't relationships, every relationship, like an NFL contract, right? You, you got to sign four years and then you got to go back to the negotiating table, make sure everybody's still uh, functioning the proper way and move on. Yeah. So that's why you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Haven't been married 36 years. I know this. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, my, my girlfriend's great though. Super supportive. She's been by my side throughout all these crazy endeavors and everything that I'm trying to do. So I can't say enough positive things about her. So what's the route? I'm trying to picture it in my mind. You're going straight across pretty much? No. So I'm going New York City uh, through Jersey down to Philly. And then from Philly, the question comes is, uh, well, from Philly, as of right now, we're bouncing all the way up to Pittsburgh and then Pittsburgh to Cleveland and then Cleveland to Columbus, Columbus to Cincinnati. I know some of that is like dead mileage, but it's important for me to, in my opinion, I wanted to connect all of the cities in Ohio, given that I'm an Ohio native. And then we'll hit Louisville and then St. Louis, Kansas City, Denver, Vegas, LA. Um, yep. And I think, well, and then there's a route that takes us, it's going to be close to Salt Lake City. So there is that little in the middle range over there. But Yeah, before you get to Denver. Yeah, going a little, little far north there though. So yeah, like I said, your weather's going to be fun there. What can people do? Where can they uh, stay in touch and and follow you and and all that stuff? We have um, Overcomer Team on Instagram. If you want to see me make a fool of myself, check out the TikTok as well. And uh, we have our website, championsdoovercome.org. There's a donate link for PayPal. Please, if you have anything, dollar, five dollars, a million, whatever, (laughs) donate. And we can, uh, if you fill out an inquiry form and want to sponsor or contribute to any additional things that we're still looking for, which is still trying to nail down hotel rooms and things like that for, for the stays across the nation. So fill out an inquiry form and we'll get back with you. Okay. So uh, in-kind or monetary donations. So we're getting close to the uh, end of our conversation here. I'm going to move you 
gracefully towards the exit. You're not into this yet, but you've been through a lot in the last decade. What are the top three things that you've learned that you could pass on to someone else? Well, that's good. First and foremost, develop a spiritual relationship. My faith is with God. I'm a Christian, but whatever spiritual relationship you have, develop that. Love and laugh more. You know, life is too short to dwell on so-and-so cut me off or said this to me or that to me. Really just enjoy your life. Be comfortable with who you are and live. Literally live. Travel. Be who you are. That's good. That's a good one. I like that. You made my day. All right. I'm going to let you go and uh, we'll, uh, we'll follow up later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. The job-changing tsunami. Jobquake. <laughs> Jobquake. According to Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM Research, a full 52% of American employees are currently searching for new jobs, and 57% say they are burnt out on work. According to a recent KPMG CIO survey, 86% of jobs have moved to be remote, and 43% will probably stay that way. The pandemic has caused a shift in the employment landscape. It caused people to rethink their priorities. Before, they knew they were on a work treadmill, but they never felt like they could do anything about it. There were always those voices talking about, hey, design your own lifestyle, break free from the nine to five. But that was, that was the exception. Most people still wanted a good job for good pay, and they were unwilling to trade. They were unwilling to take a pay cut to get a healthier or happier life. They were willing to commute for hours and sacrifice their own health and their families and their happiness for the job. And the pandemic gave people an opportunity to reassess their assumptions. Working remotely and from home, people were able to pilot some different conditions. And they were able to answer some questions that had, up until this point, been unattainable fantasies. What would life be like if you didn't have to drive in and out of the city every day? How would your life change if you could spend more time with your spouse or your kids? What would you do if you could walk out into your garden every day? These are unique times and unique circumstances. Now, for me, having worked remotely for most of the last 20 years, it wasn't a great big change in lifestyle or any kind of an epiphany. But for many, this was a first-time experience. And thus, they were shoved like fish out of water, gaping into the remote work lifestyle. And depending on your job and your personality type and your living conditions, this may have been a total shock to your system, or a great relief, or a combination of both. Some jobs are naturally synchronous with remote work. For the most part, any white-collar office job can be accomplished remotely. But there were challenges. When you change the basic mechanics of what work means, you can't just lift and shift the previous mechanisms. Things have to adjust for the new situation, for the new constraints. And if you look at the data, they have collected some data so far. 
Some companies did a horrible job of this lift and shift, both for the company and the employees. And some did a great job. Uh, The ones that did a horrible job, when they measured it, they found the employees were working longer hours and getting less done. How was that possible? Well, it probably had something to do with the endless video calls that people were on. If you've got eight straight hours of no-break video calls, you're not going to get much done, and you're going to be exhausted. Some companies saw the exact opposite, right? They did really well. Employees worked less and got more done. And it depends on the company. We don't know why this disparity exists, but I think when they research it, they'll find it has something to do with the culture of those companies. And let's be clear, we're talking about white-collar office jobs here. Hourly, service jobs, they're still the same shitty jobs they have always been, and they were not impacted by this. Probably just made worse. And I see you, I hear you, I hear you yahoos on LinkedIn saying that they can't find workers for their shitty jobs because of government assistance. And to them, I say, you can't find workers because it's a shitty job. And if you'll permit me, it has little to do with pay. It's about culture. But I digress. What's happening now is workers are changing jobs or leaving jobs at a higher rate than ever before. Right now. This is happening right now. This is what some are calling the job change tsunami. Probably because tsunami is fun to say. Tsunami. If it was me, like I said, I'd call it the job quake. (laughs) I sense that this is a global trend. I don't have data. I, I know it's a U.S. trend. Nearly 4 million Americans left their jobs in April. They quit, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. An unprecedented number in the two decades the government has been tracking this data pushing that quit rate to 24% higher than it was before the pandemic. And this is causing a big demand. People are hiring. There's a hiring tsunami going on right now as well. Now, some of these quits, these people quitting, they're actually walking away. They're getting off the treadmill. They're using the pandemic as an opportunity for a fresh start. Some workers are leaving for new jobs with better wages or remote-friendly working conditions. Others are deciding to start their own businesses rather than collecting salaries. And yet others are resigning without any firm plan. They're just confident that they'll be able to get a better deal somewhere else as the economy recovers from the pandemic recession. And what does this mean for workers and job seekers? What does it mean? It means it's a seller's market right now. That's right. There are more jobs than job seekers. And this means that you can get more. You can get more money more freedom, more of whatever you want in a job if you're willing to shop. To those of you who still want to play the career game, now is the time to trade up. Now is the time to go for that next rung on the ladder. And for those who want a better life balance or something else, now's the time to negotiate it. Now what does this mean for companies, for bosses? Well, like I said above, it's a seller's market. So you can't have a shitty product. You've got to look at what this new wave of post-pandemic job hunters want, what they want in a job, and figure out how to give it to them. You've got to start hiring now because even in good companies, the churn in the market means you're going to lose people. Now's the time to look at your organization and your hiring process and start getting creative. And what does it mean for the world? Well, I'm an optimistic guy. 
I think these sorts of reshuffles in the job market are generally good for everybody. It's like a game of musical chairs. And when the music stops, hopefully the workers will be in a better place and companies will benefit from that as well. It can be a fresh start for people who have felt stuck. And at the end of the day, it's a temporary misalignment of supply and demand. The market forces will close that gap and they'll close it quickly. You can probably look for this to last six months, maybe, but I'm no economist. You run your own game, run your own numbers. One thing is for sure, we are in a unique position with the job quake right now. We're going to look back at this strange time nostalgically at some point, I'm sure. So now's a great time for everyone to reassess what work means to them. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have run across the U.S. of A to the end of episode 4-457 of the Run Run Live podcast, and it was amazing. All in all, I can't complain. I'm reasonably healthy. The days are long. The weather is nice. Feels good to be taking it easy in the summertime. In the summertime. I have managed to lose 10 of the 20 pounds that I had found. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't come off as fast when you're not running. And I'm not a naturally slender person. I have to work at it. And that's one of the reasons I'm lifting is to build up some muscle mass, not just to be stronger, but to burn more calories. So I ordered a couple of new short sleeve shirts from Amazon this week. Yeah, I needed some new, uh, I needed some shirts, but I needed some bike shorts. So I figured I'd, I'd round up the order to get that free shipping. And I ordered these shirts as mediums. So my whole life I ordered larges, but now I'm wearing mediums. So I'm not sure if I got smaller or they changed the sizes, probably a little of both. This is Prime Day this week for all you techie folks who want your new gadgets. I usually just ignore it. I don't have a Prime membership. I leech off my daughter's membership for Prime Video. I don't buy enough stuff to make it worth it. And I really don't need my orders to come Right away, same day, right now. I don't need my stuff that badly. Call me an old guy, but I kind of like waiting for the stuff to come. You know, you forget about it, and it shows up a couple days later. It's a nice surprise. It's like it's like a birthday present. So I found another, hopefully better, dog training center for Ollie up in New Hampshire. We'll see if they can help me with his aggressive behavior. He's even more nuts than normal when he can't run. But we've got a good a good frisbee practice going. He's very good with the frisbee. And so I've been telling people that I had to go out of state with him because he's exhausted all the in-state trainers. Not sure what my plans are for the rest of the summer. I've gotten a couple runs in this week pain-free. I'll see. I think I'll go out with a club tomorrow, see how that feels. And if I can keep stringing pain-free runs along, maybe I can get back into the woods, keep doing what I'm doing, just in time for deer fly season. And if I can get Ollie out, that would help him, help his demeanor. And it's ironic, because I remember when Buddy, my old Border Collie, when he was a puppy, back in the early 2000s sometime, I crashed my truck into a telephone pole, and I smashed my knee. And that was in the late summer, if I remember correctly, and it took me about a year to get back into shape, get back into running. And I ended up requalifying at that rail trail marathon in Baltimore the following Thanksgiving. 
So yeah, irony, new dog, smashed the other knee, but he would have been about the same age. So, but it all works out, right? All works out. Time heals all wounds. My garden is growing very well. I, you know, I'm home, so I'm able to water it every day, and that's helpful, even though the weather has been a little weird this year. And I've already started harvesting some lettuces, some nice lettuces for my salads. And I should have peas in the next couple weeks, and the the, uh, raspberries are popping. But the best garden story this year is the mint. Yes, the mint. I have this mint that we have growing at our house. This is the same mint that grew at my house when I was a kid growing up. I transplanted some into my garden and all of my houses have had this mint. The stuff is, it's a weed. It grows everywhere. You can't kill it. It's the family mint, which is nice and everything, but what do you do with mint? Right? What do you do with it? It's like rhubarb. You can't do anything with it. You know, people will say, oh, make mint jelly and stuff like that. But that's all a ruse. I'm not making jelly. That's just mixing it with enough sugar to make it taste good. Although there are some Indian dishes. I have uh, an Indian friend who's a good cook. I'm going to try some of those uh, mint dishes that they they have there. I'm going to experiment with that. But basically, I just weed this stuff. I weed it out of my garden every year. Very healthy. Always grows back, but it's useless. But this year, being, you know, working from home, I discovered that the fresh mint makes awesome tea. Yeah, I was drinking some just now. You just throw some leaves in your cup, pour hot water over it, and bam, you have excellent mintiness. So there you go. Even these old things that you've had with you forever find new uses in the apocalypse. And finally, I know, I know for you folks, there's a lot of stuff going on these few years, right? A lot of change, a lot of chaos. I know it has an impact on you, it has an impact on people. And it's not just going to snap back. It's, you know, we're we're going to live in chaos. Life has changed, right? It's going to keep going forward. So I'm going to give you a simple thought to help you deal with that change, that chaos. So you want to think about it this way. So think of yourself as an island in the sea of chaos, right? You have all this stuff going on around you. What can you do in your little boat out there being beat up with the crashing waves of chaos? What can you do? Well, what you can do is you can choose. You get to choose. And what you choose makes a difference. You can choose to be an island of chaos in the chaos and play along, or you can choose to be an island of calm in the chaos. And when you choose to be an island of calm... There's nothing that the chaos can do to hurt you. It can't get to you. You choose to be okay. You choose to be happy. You choose to not ignore the chaos, but to let it flow around you. And when you choose to be this island of calm, you'll notice that others are drawn to your calm, right? You you become a leader, right? It's that person who can keep their head when everything else is chaos, right? You become that gravity that sucks others in. And then you can work together to find a path through the chaos, right? So you get to choose through attitude, through action. Are you an island of chaos or an island of calm? Be the island of calm in the chaos. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed. So hard it made him 
Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-457 of the Run Run Live podcast. <laughs> Hello, my friends, and welcome. <clears throat> let's let's start this again. <clears throat> 